Hey there, film fans. My name is Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. We don't want any negative stuffiness from any of your other podcasts Uh on this fucking podcast. No, sir. No, ma'am. No. Those of you who have yet to make up your mind. This is a podcast that is a drinking game where we drink if we say anything negative about a film. And one of these films today is really going to put us to the test. So stick around. (laughs) (laughs) So pour yourself a glass, especially you, Jeff apparently and uh let's give it up for the films we love and one that might need some love all right let's go ahead we're talking about two films from 2020 that may come up in awards season more on that in a second first john give us some shout outs what's up we got the shout outs. Are you guys still drinking Carlos's brews? Oh, yeah. Out last week. Damn, well, do you still I, have oh, that? Yeah. We got I, a beer sponsor. Beautiful. Our beer sponsor's name is Carlos Barozzo. Dave is drinking one right now if you're on the Twitch stream. Ah, oh, there's his he face. He has a handle. <laughs> Look at him. Cibarozzo Bar 2019. That is at Cibarozzo Bar 2019. C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R 2019. And if you dig the music in the beginning... In the middle and the end of this podcast and every single episode, head on over to soundcloud.com forward slash dasign dash artist dash artist. You can download all the tracks by the artist dasign D-A-S-E-I-N. Uh, and as always, if you could please rate, review, love, subscribe, like, do all the fucking things you can possibly fucking think of for our podcasts on all the platforms at the love of cinema pod, except on Twitter, we're at the love of cinema. Give us some love, people. We need it. Yeah. Boom, Jeff. We need it. Oh, we need it. Mm. Do we need it? 2021, mm. pandemic's year old. We need the love, people. Find us in the God show notes it. if you're curious about any of that. All right. So we are in week something, six or seven, of our segment. It was the best of film. It was the worst <laughs> of film. Where we take a look at award season films, both good, the best of cinema, and both not so good, the worst of cinema, which we assume, based on odds and based on <laughs> websites, uh, films that are going to be nominated for either Oscars or Razzie Awards. Again, we are not choosing our favorites. This is based on odds. And so far, based on the award shows that are coming out, which is the Golden Globes and the Screen Actors Guild, which have released their nominations, we're doing pretty good so far. We picked some pretty good yeah. films. So our first film, which is going to be our It Was the Best of Film, um, is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, directed by theater legend George C. Wolf, and of course starring the late, great, amazing Chadwick Boseman in the leading role in this film, guy. and uh, Viola Davis, who plays Ma Rainey herself, both mm. of whom were nominated for both a Golden Globe and a Screen Actors Guild Award, as was the ensemble for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was nominated for the Screen Actors Guild's Best Ensemble Award. And then our Razzie film is Artemis Fowl, which you can find on Disney+. Plus. It stars Judi Dench and Josh Gad. It was directed by legend of the Shakespearean stage and the director of Thor, Kenneth Branagh. And the reviews are not so great. So we're going to take a look at that soon. Um, but first, let's do a quick round of what you've been watching, guys. Quick round. Dave, what have you been watching? Oh, um, well, this week um, I did a little snuck a little streaming thing in because they uh, premiered the new <clears throat> um, series Clarice, which is the right. follow-on series for Sons oh, of the yeah. Lambs. I gave it a look. I'll tell if you what. anybody watched the Super Bowl, they pushed the 
fucking yeah. shit out of mm-hmm. that show in the Super Bowl. And you know good what? God. If all you had to, all they had to do was get you to watch one episode, it is really good. If you like really? if you like Sons of the Lambs and you like Criminal Minds, this is going to be the show for you. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Great. Nice, dude. And I also I, uh, to get to put myself that, in the yeah. right frame of mind for uh, for our Razzies, I thought I should give one of the Razzies a shot. So I sat down and I watched Catwoman. Oh no! <laughs> Halle Berry. Halle why did I do that to myself? <laughs> yeah, why'd you do that? To yourself? <laughs> it was. It was. I. I mean, I turned it off and half an hour in the first time I watched it, and I lasted an hour and twenty minutes. It's. Oh, it's just terrible. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Way to go. I don't dude. even feel bad for you. Yeah. You. You, you chose to do that. <laughs> I did. Uh, Stuck my head in the grinder. I watched. Uh, we talked about Sound of Metal last week, directed yeah. by Darius Martyr, and um, his co-conspirator Derek Chanfrance has a series that nobody talked about or watched called I Know This Much Is True. Is that Mark Ruffalo series that was on HBO this past year? Yeah. So I gave the first two episodes a shot. Uh, It is a book adaptation, which is uh, the first time he's adapted anything. And it feels like a book adaptation. So I'm not quite sure if I love it yet, but obviously the performance is very strong for Mark Ruffalo. It's good. It's probably worth watching. I'm going to keep going to six episodes. I watched the documentary feature on HBO Max that's out now called Fake Famous. If anybody saw that come up on their on their feed for recommendations, it's basically um, some, I think he's a Times reporter, and he takes three random, you know, wannabe stars in, in a... Not, I didn't mean that negatively. People who are unknown hmm. actor model people in LA, and they try to make them influencers. It's a social experiment, kind of interesting. Gives a lot of commentary on modern day influencing, celebrity, yeah. fame. It's it's worth watching. It was interesting deconstruction of that all all that shit. Hey. I watched uh, John Stewart's film that came out this past summer, Irresistible, that political comedy with Rose Byrne and Steve Carell. Not great. To be honest with you, it was okay. I feel like it was trying to do like kind of a Frank Capra thing. I wanted it to be better than it was, but it was harmless. And then Dave, in the honor of you, I watched Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, and Justice League, which I regret because Zack Snyder's four-hour cut yeah, match of the Justice League is coming. Yes, yeah, soon. I, yeah, I, 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 I didn't saw even the, know that. I saw the trailer for the the pre-trailer for the trailer the other day. Um, they're like, a new trailer's coming. I'm like, why do yeah. you have a trailer for your trailer drop? Like that. This I, is so this is silly. why your film has to make its budget over again to pay for all this stupid marketing. Incidentally, uh, I don't know so, whether you got yeah. the Facebook chat up, but my wife is obviously listening to the live record of this podcast right now and so has curious. commented that I'm making poor decisions when she's not around. I'm guessing that's yes. in reference to Catwoman. Probably. Yep. So, Therese. <laughs> well, shout out, Dave. Though, Jeff, what'd you watch? In honor of our series, Catwoman was the situation where Halle Berry won both the Oscar and the Razzie in the same year, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. which has only happened one other time, which was Sandra Bullock. Not for not for Catwoman, just to clarify. Oh, yeah. Wait, I thought she, she's, she, she didn't win the Oscar for Catwoman. No. Correct, 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 correct. correct. A, yeah, I, I believe, a... was, it, was it her that accepted the Razzie with the Oscar in her other hand? No, because the Oscar's the next day. The Razzie's the okay, night before. Okay, there was someone, so she won someone, had, Monster. someone took their Oscar in. Wow. Monster's Ball. Which one for Monster's Ball? Monsters yeah. Ball. Um, Excuse me. Great, 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 great. Okay, so Monsters what did I watch? Well, I had some omissions last week. So I actually had seen Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself on Hulu, directed by Frank Oz. This is uh, a recording of several live shows in New York stitched together. Um, the guy's an illusionist. So if you want to see some sleight of hand and if you want to see some mind tricks, it's really, really cool. David Blaine cries in it. He saw the show. Bill Gates was in the audience for one of the shows. 
So I highly recommend that on Hulu. That was a recommendation from the brother and sister-in-law and my friend Kev. Sweet. I got in the theater mindset. We'll talk more about theater soon with our first film. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. also saw what the Constitution means to me. Uh, that was my workout film. And then this week, my film that I watched was um, The Little Things, which John had yeah. seen the week before. That, of course, is what Denzel Washington. I find the time to see that. Rami Malek and Jared Leto. It's it's the most fine, like basic fine film ever I've ever seen. Like it is it is so not bad and so not good in the most fine way imaginable. I can't describe it any that? more than that. You can bust that. <laughs> exactly. I'm not even sure if we should or not. Yeah, <laughs> it like that's how everybody feels about it. There's not a moment in this movie where I was like, yeah. And these are three Oscar winners. Anyway. Mm. Um, and if Jared, Jared Leto's fan, I like Jared Leto a lot, but if he takes Paul Racy's fucking Oscar nomination, I'm going to be pissed. But it's not Jared Leto's fault because I like Jared Leto. Paul Racy, shout out. He was good. Um, and then yeah. I watched the Britney documentary. Free Britney, people. Free, yeah, free Britney. Britney. Holy free Britney. shit. Justin Who knew Timberlake that guy was right? Leave Britney alone. An apology. God. Oh, my God. What What we he did, did. He did to apologize Britney. to her. Did, yeah. he, 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 released didn't, he, the, he released the public apology. For Crimea River and all that, the interview. For the misogyny, yeah. the blatant misogyny that led Britney Spears to go kind of insane, but not insane in the way that she was pitched, but as insane as anybody yeah, would be if you literally couldn't go outside your house without cameras in your fucking face. Um, okay. I think that's enough. If I missed anything, no worries. So let's move on. We're going to start with our It Was the Best of Film series selection sorry uh ma rainey's black bottom now i've seen this movie twice now because i saw it in december when it came out nice hey, so hey I saw this- doing some weird things none <laughs> of my buttons said. work i don't um, know what's going on that's what she said okay so okay. i saw um i saw this movie twice like i rewatched it this week but i had seen it in uh december so this is based on the august wilson play written in the early 80s so this August Wilson wrote Fences and a lot of other things. Uh, I said before it's directed by Legend of the Theater um, George C. Wolfe, who ran the public theater for 11 years in New York City, Tony Awards, etc. Written by Ruben Santiago Hudson, also Tony Award winner from the theater, starring Viola Davis, Tony Award winner. Also, we should say it's produced by Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington had yeah. considered doing this for himself, had George mm. C. Wolf in mind pretty early on, but it wasn't right for him. Nothing in this movie is right for him. So he, Tony Award winner Denzel Washington decided to produce this. Uh, and then it's basically Ma Rainey and her band at a recording session in Chicago. Uh, it's based on a true story, or at least of a true person. Ma Rainey is a real person. She's one of the originators of the blues genre, who is considered the mother of the blues because she tore, she's mostly from Georgia, but she would tour the South in the 19 teens and twenties um, and performed for primarily black audiences and killed, totally crushed. And so she started recording. So she's one of the first blues artists that ever recorded, but most of the recording studios she did were in the North. So in Chicago, even though most of the film takes place in either the recording studio itself or in the, I guess you could call it the green room. It's the band room. The band room. But the band room looked like a locker room with no lockers. It was not a very nice looking band room. That, I mean, that that had, that reflects on nothing at the time. All band rooms look like that. Good point. <laughs> um, and that ca- that ensemble cast, also theatrical legends, you have Glenn Turman, who played Toledo, who is up there in the discussions for, for stuff coming out now. Coleman Domingo, Michael Potts who I love a lot, uh, Dasan Brown, and Joshua Hardo I had never seen before. And then um, John's boy, Jeremy Shamos, had a really awesome role. Jeremy. And yeah. Johnny Coyne. If you don't know these people, they are that guy actors. You would see them and you would recognize them. So anyway, long story short, it's an hour and a half. It's based on a play, so it's kind of filmed like a play. 
starring and directed by and written by theatrical people and it's up for golden globes and sag awards and it's basically just about the bands their struggle recording ma in the 1920s during the flapper era right before the big crash so um who wants to take it from there when was the last time you guys watched a Jeff? You mentioned it in your intro, so I guess you were the most recent. But last time we watched a play adaptation, I told you guys I watched Frost Nixon several weeks ago after we talked about something. I was wanting some more political stuff, so I watched that. Uh, I had forgotten this was an August Wilson play, so I think my recommendation for audiences out there, if you're going to give this a shot, you do have to switch gears when you're watching a play adaptation. It, it doesn't watch like a movie tends to watch because. The best thing about the theater is that you can be transported outside of the theater by listening to people on stage talk about something that's happening in their past life or maybe in the future. It's a dialogue driven medium. So I think if I think it took me a second to be like, oh, fuck, I forgot this was a play. Like I knew it and then I had forgotten. And then as soon as I switched gears, I was all in and I had a really good time in those insulated spaces, insulated camera movements, long monologues. But if you go in the way Netflix has put this trailer together, you will be misled. It leads you to believe that it's not a play, that it's going to be about following this band through their the 20s as they're trying to make it in the blues stuff. So just like I feel this way for a lot of trailers, don't watch the trailer. <laughs> just just try, just try to go in and enjoy what happens to you because it's 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 really Dude, well written. August Wilson is tell, the fucking man. Don't tell man. people not to watch the trailer. They spent the budget of the fucking film on the trailer. At this point, just watch the no, movie. But... It's an hour and a half. Get in there. <laughs> yeah, it's so harmless. Just get in there and just watch it. Uh, how did you guys feel about that, though? I know, it, Jeff, you obviously, you knew this was a play. Dave, had you ever read this play or did you, did you know I had, anything about this I didn't this know it was a play. I looked it up um, midway through because I'm like, this is really reading like a play. And <laughs> to be honest, if I have any criticism, and as we all know from my Les Mis rants, if you're going to adapt something, I really hate that it still feels like the medium you're adapting it from. Me I mean, too. granted, Me it kind of works a little bit because the rooms are small and they're supposed to be like claustrophobic and stuff. But this, this played like play blocking like stage blocking and even the camera movement it was it was like capturing a scene of a play as such that was that was you, that was the only criticism i could find was like possibly the cinematography in this and the staging i cannot say enough good things about the performances in this film yeah but i just think if you're going to adapt something to a film medium use that film medium i completely agree because you shouldn't have to say <laughs> no i completely agree dave you shouldn't have to say these these acting performances were incredible despite that obstacle yeah. as, a, as an audience member. Like, there are so many awesome stories that get told by every character, basically. There's like everyone gets to unload at some point with a, a massive monologue or a, or a back and forth dialogue scene. And you're in the medium of film. And I'm not saying we should take like a cliche route and like go with a voiceover and cut away and show it to us happening. But there is a probably a more interesting way to show us the story as opposed to just parking a camera in front of an actor and letting them give a monologue. And I did feel like I, there were after the third or fourth time that happened, I got that feeling that Jeff and I have talked about this before. And you, you said it beautifully, Dave, that's not this medium. If you're going to adapt into a medium, we're about to talk after this movie about a book adaptation. And I kind of complained about the, uh, I know this much is true adaptation. There is a way to adapt. We have seen really good adaptations and as, Moved as I was by the what was happening to the characters in this story, I do feel like the adaptation held back the potential of this story. I think it could have been told in a more interesting way. Obviously, the talent is there, 
but they chose to film it and tell it as though we had three proscenium sets and with 360 camera movements in those sets. And I just don't know if that was the strongest choice they could have made. Mm. I, I, didn't, I didn't dislike it because of that, but I did notice it. And as we say all the time on this thing, if you're looking at your phone, if you're thinking about something technically, you're probably not as invested in it as you want to be. Jeff, yeah. do you do you, of course, you feel that way? of course, of course, of course. Actually, um, we we've talked mostly about musicals in our podcast, which is almost about a year old. Actually, Valentine's Day was our first podcast, so happy anniversary, guys! Awesome. Hell yeah! Um, happy anniversary! Cheers! 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 Yeah! Cheers! Cheers! Gotta be watching shit Boom. ton of movies this year. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So. We, we haven't talked a lot uh, about a lot of play adaptations, but one of the hardest things for plays, less than musicals, plays tend to not have a lot of sets. So this entire thing takes place in the recording studio or the band room, right? So it's all in one place. Um, to be honest, I've never read the play, so I'm not sure if um, they, they we, we see, we probably see more performances. I, I, have, no, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, as soon as this ends... Netflix does this thing sometimes. I remember The Irishman did this last year where it immediately starts the 30-minute special on the film. And the special on yeah. the film spent like 10 minutes talking about the South and how popular these venues were. And um, obviously it's not pre-KK. The racism was fucking abhorrent in Georgia at this time. But but people could get dressed up. By, by people, I mean Black Americans could get dressed up and go out and party and, and, and club even harder than all the flappers and have a blast in the middle of the woods and, and they were totally left alone to just enjoy. And so there were huge stars at this time. Bessie Smith was another huge star of this touring, just legends that people talked about for, for decades. And they, they talked about that and they showed like kind of idealized versions of what that would look like. And I was like, that is so exciting. However, in the play, the play, all of the dialogue, it's so ensemble based that rather than write new scenes, it looks like they decided to focus on the recording sessions in Chicago, which is cool. And they did write in some scenes where they got some of the racial disparities of Chicago, who is not as kind to uh, Ma as she's probably used to being a star celebrity in, in Georgia South. Um, I, I'm not saying to George C. Wolf, who's obviously amazing, he directed the original Angels in America, he should have done this, but it would be more interesting to have let us see more locations than just the record studio and then right outside the record studio. If we could have seen more of the South outside of the very beginning, I do think that it could have added a little bit more scope. But, you know, they wanted the ensemble stuff and the ensemble stuff is amazing. And I actually liked it better the second time that I watched it, not expecting to. I expected to half watch it just to take some notes because I just saw it two months ago and I actually liked it better this time. So I don't know what that says. Yeah, I feel I like the, the dialogue nice. as well, like, I know, uh, I guess it was the style, but they they could have, it felt like, even that felt a little bit like stage dialogue. It's like everyone was jumping on their cues. Oh, how many times do people start a line after the person hadn't even exited yet? <laughs> so somebody walks yeah. away, he's like, oh, did you hear that? And it's like, he's still in the room. You know, like that, that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. is common in theater. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's annoying. I mean, it can be annoying in theater too. And I'm I'm not saying that August Wilson doesn't know how to write dialogue, but there is something that, gets filtered through sitting a hundred feet away from actors on a stage. It, it, you don't mind that kind of thing nearly as much when you're sitting in an audience in a dark theater and you need that stuff. You can't see facial expressions. You can't see how they were going to pick up the cue from the previous person. And there's also a, a rhythm to his stuff that um, I think he got better and better at. If anyone who has read a lot of his plays, I think he eventually, like uh, we were talking about Sorkin not too long ago on this show, or early Sorkin is kind of 
annoying to some people because it sounds so much like the same voice in every character. Yeah. And then we just watched Trial of Chicago 7. I think it's a, a real achievement. And we we all praised one of the most noticeable things was that it didn't sound just like Aaron Sorkin. So I do think that this one was in that August Wilson space. It was one of the, it was not the, it was by no means the beginning of his career, but I don't know if they did him any favors by adapting it to try to keep all that word sauce because it kind of got in the way for me. Uh, just try Because I already knew what they were going to say sometimes, and you never want to feel that way. You never want to feel mm. like they're starting to banter just to try to carry on that type of cadence when all I'm really curious about is I think I know where the scene is moving and one of them is about to break. And there's going to be a more interesting way to show that person about to break than to have all that stuff going on every single time, especially when it turns into a pattern. And it kind of got, for me, it kind of got to a place. I think my favorite scene was between Ma and Cutler. Uh, shout out to Chadwick Boseman. He was you know, yeah. RIP. He was amazing. He did such a good job. Yeah. But scene wise in the movie, when Cutler and Ma are sitting together in silence, yeah. It's probably my favorite scene because it's the only one that sounded like they were actually just chit chat. And they have not yeah, they doing have that, August Wilson. They have that banter. moment. And it yeah. There was such familiarity mm-hmm. in that moment. It was like, yeah. Yeah. It was, exactly. There was familiarity. It was grounded. It felt like we were in a movie. It felt like a camera had somehow snuck in to this intimate conversation, as opposed to that proscenium, we're doing play dialogue, we're gonna move around and let everybody talk. Yeah. I don't what was y'all's did y'all have a standout scene or a standout performance? For you guys, I mean, Good. Chadwick is up there. I mean, I, one of the questions I'd pose is, which clip do you think they're going to use for the Oscars? Because the shoes, it's the shoes. It's the shoes. When you step when he, on the shoes he, at the end. Well, right? no, I think they're going to use the when he shoes the or the shoes, family. Okay. Uh, the family stuff. Yeah. I, I'll, well, I'll, I'll I'll ask a question about that in a second, but mm-hmm. standout scenes. Let's let's keep it on this topic here for a second. Standout scene. I love Viola Davis and I liked her more the second time because she's a she's a tough hang. Ma's a tough cookie that is tired of bullshit. She's tired of people bullshitting her whole life. And she is like, she has the power here and she's gonna fucking wield it. And it's, you know, it's it takes a second to get she used. She is to. non-existent in that role too. She oh completely disappears. Yeah. yeah. Viola's in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like immersed. Yeah. It's it's also crazy that she actually had more screen time in fences than she does in this, but this is just one of those leading performances. <laughs> yeah. She's what, 26 minutes she's on screen? But she just is a towering force over the whole yeah. film. So she she is, I think, as of now, the odds on favorite for the Oscar. That doesn't matter. It, anything could happen. But like, it, it just that towering presence that she doesn't need the fat suit to get. Like, it's just. She also, to to spin off of what I was saying, it, I, again, no, everyone in this in this movie and I'm sure in the in the cast productions of these plays knows how to handle his dialogue, but. I think she was the best at it for me. Um, when she builds in her massive monologue in that scene I was talking about to the nail in the coffin line, they don't care about me. All they want is my voice. Yeah. She understands how to be, um, and I, I mean this as respectful as possible, writer proof. She never, the way she speaks the dialogue, she never gets lost in August Wilson's cadence. It always felt like every line was discovered. So mm. that when she mm. finally gets to that, it landed and it felt original, like she had discovered it in that moment. And when you read that, I went and read that monologue. It reads like, okay, there's a trap here. A, a lesser actor would have found this rhythm and would have built to that and maybe would have screamed it at the very end. 
She discovered every yeah. fucking moment. Not not once fresh. when she was on screen did I feel like this is a play adaptation. It was it was the exactly. ensemble. I felt like that... I felt like everyone else was in a play adaptation and she was just walking in. <laughs> yeah, Ma Rainey funny. actually yeah. walked into this movie yeah. and just like I'm in the play I now. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um really touching. So there so another thing that happens in plays a lot, plays, not musicals, plays that that is in this is monologues now it's monologues are, are great right we let we love monologues they're like the they're like arias in opera that's it's usually the money stuff it's the meat and the potatoes you usually get a full story plus some emotion so every character in here gets monologues john just mentioned um you just mentioned ma rainey's big monologue uh chadwick kind of gets a couple but he has one big one obviously so definitely from a i would love to know from a filmmaking perspective the performances are all great but the best part about it in theater is that usually you don't know a monologue has started until you're halfway through the monologue and you're like, oh shit, we're monologuing because it just comes out of dialogue. But with film, the camera usually starts to hold steady and you're like, okay, here comes a monologue. Did that, did that do anything for you? Did you notice it? Did you go, okay, here comes a monologue. Were you happy because you love the performances? Like how did that treatment affect you guys? I feel like I was being manipulated to be honest with you. Were any, I feel like it was... but some are more successful than others, but generally speaking, yeah, I. All right. So again, that Dave. Yeah, you could. What do you think, dude? Cinematographer I, Dave. I, Dave Green. Again, I would have. I mean, there was nothing wrong with anything that was shot. If anything, I there would have been more cutaways just to break up the fact that it was a monologue, mm-hmm. just exactly. to show reactions to what he's saying, not just him speaking. And like it, reaction shots are yeah. essential. <laughs> yes, they were yes, so God, good. There, there, was there? And, the, and where were they? They were so, you know, These the behavior guys, was through the roof with those guys. They were fucking sitting in the same room with him yeah. in costume. And they rehearsed. Listening and responding. They rehearsed. The they rehearsed. So like weeks of just so what gold, together. Exactly. What gold did they miss? Michael Caine's acting for film. He has this one little bit where he talks about, oh, I was going to do this movie. It's a two-hander. And everyone kept saying, why do you want to do this? You have so little dialogue. And he talked about, look, they're going to have the camera on me the whole time because I'm going to be reacting to this woman monologuing through the entire fucking show. And this movie... Again, it, it was fine. It didn't make me dislike it, but I do think there were a lot of missed opportunities to cut away to reaction shots hmm. or starting a little bit wide. Because I think one thing that happens to you naturally when Jeff said it perfectly, you don't really realize somebody's monologuing until they're like halfway through it. What you do naturally with your gaze, at least I do, when I'm sitting in a theater proscenium stage, you're kind of taking everything in and then you're realizing that somebody is talking nonstop and then you slowly kind of find yourself being sucked in yeah. by their monologue. This film, every time somebody started with a monologue, I kept waiting to be like, at least start wide at some point and then and then go in slowly. I mean, yeah. Like, I, they put, kept being like, boom, put, close like, up. It doesn't even need to be facial reactions. <laughs> you can put the side of someone's head, just dirty up that frame a little to yeah. show that they are watching. Like it's, it's not even, they don't even need a reaction. It's just like make them present in the scene. Otherwise yeah. it just becomes all about him, which I'm sure that's what they were going for. But I mean, again, that's force feeding the monologue it's like you notice the medium when they do that yeah, don't you like really i'm curious do. if it was an editing thing i'm curious if they were like sitting in the editing room and they were saying look chadwick's so good i think we should just hold on him and, and i wonder if there a wonder a lot of really wonderful cutaway reaction moments that monologue that he gives that we're talking about folks is a big like his backstory of how his relationship to white people and this terrible tragic thing that happened to him and his family when he was young and you know that all of the men in that room have a similar story, stories, probably. And we never got to share it with them. 
which I thought if, if it was a play, that is exactly what would happen. Yeah. You would be watching the other actors and you would be like, oh my God, they have all lived this experience. Yeah. And instead they kind of made it all about Chadwick. And I think it didn't do Chadwick any favors because it kind of made him have to quote act hey, God, constantly. I just, I've seen this movie twice and I liked it better the second time, but I have to agree with you because it starts to feel like therapy. It, it, it feels like a, a character giving himself his own therapy and telling you his justification for everything which I know myself in real life, I'm way too stubborn to ever do that. So like, it's funny when characters in plays, but now here in movies are self-diagnosing themselves. And it's like, you think I'm this person, but I'm actually this because of this. And it's like, there's a rule in film, which is show, don't tell, which obviously gets broken a lot, but there's just a lot of telling. And so it's tricky. Whereas the other characters' monologues were just stories. And then you have to like, you they they are careful with how they spoon out the 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 point <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. the, this was which is powerful i'm not saying it's not powerful obviously and it's a situation that i i couldn't even possibly put myself anywhere near but it's just like it still just feels like he's justifying his behavior through self-therapy and it just felt a little tricky yeah but go see this film guys it's a yeah. good movie yeah, absolutely keep, yeah, keep it a watch. like one one thing i will point out though like um viola davis was so fucking good at the performance element of it i had to look up whether she was actually singing those songs oh nice yeah, she, like just technically it, the lip sync, she nailed it. Yeah, dude. like it is a hundred percent. Like she, it's almost like she heard the track and knew exactly what to do with her face. Like because I've I've worked with a lot of singers, I mix sound for theater a lot, and I like people do certain things with their face when they're hitting certain notes or when they're doing like certain aspects of performance, and she nailed them all. Like the, yeah. I had to look up whether she was singing or not. So she's on another yeah. planet, dude. I mean, she's, she's really, she really is. The, I want to give one last zone, shout yeah. out. She, she is. I mean, I don't want to make like a, a general statement about race, but I think if she was white, she probably would have had just as many nominations and wins she, as Meryl she Streep. She's, she's, she, she, she's otherworldly. They asked her about TV and rather than sit there and be like, I wanted to work with Shonda Rhimes. She said, I wasn't getting movie roles, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> Sorry. But- watch, go watch Doubt. Go watch Dell. You see scene. Meryl give a standout performance and you see Viola walk in with one fucking scene and steal the entire movie. I want to give a shout out to Glenn Turman, who Toledo, again, yeah. the way he handles the language. Anyone who watches, who has read August Wilson plays, he likes to, like Chekhov, actually, it's very Chekhov. He likes to have a few different characters be the, quote, mouthpiece of like social commentary. Yeah. They tend to make big abstract statements about what's happening with the world or what's happening with their class if you will. It's like straight from Chekhov. And Shakespeare does it too. And when people pull it off, it feels so authentic and you feel like it comes through my character. Glenn Turman with the character Toledo, who's the older piano player, fucking gives a masterclass in how to talk about that kind of subject matter. He never made it about himself. And yet it still felt extremely personal. Mm -hmm. I wasn't wasn't sitting there waiting for him in his monologue, but he had something to say Every scene, and, and if you're not good at this, it can sound like you're just giving some some breadcrumbs or just some extraneous dialogue to try to move the scene forward so that August Wilson will sound like he's commenting on big picture issues. Glenn Turman fucking gives a masterclass. If you if you want to just give him a little a little nod, give him a little bit of notice because he's going to show you exactly how to handle stuff like that, which is very, very, very difficult. And perfect, <laughs> perfect casting too. So Michael Potts has a lot of these reaction shots we're talking about. He played slow drag. Um, He's the he's in True Detective season one. He's the guy that Rust Cole and then Woody Harrelson's character are talking to the whole time and never says anything. 
he just is, <laughs> he's just lives in the reaction shot and that's he basically does that in this where he has the fewest lines and he just is the the voice of reason reaction etc and then jeremy shamos who is the white manager of of ma rainey who's organized this recording session which obviously is going awry so his head is fucking spinning he is he is the best actor of getting shat on out of anybody he gets shat on he, in nurse he Jackie. definitely he's mastered that pained look he gets shat on in um, better yeah. call saul he gets shat on in every all the plays i've seen him do he gets shat birdman. on birdman he gets shat on like <laughs> shat, shat. he gets fired in birdman he's one of the guys that gets fired and then edward norton replaces him i think it's like yeah he's yeah. always getting shat on and he's just perfect at that role I when just, ma's yelling one, at him to one, like get a coke or something and he just isn't oh, moving yeah. and she just starts she's like go leave and he's like okay <laughs> That one moment when the the kid Sylvester is it, yeah, gets like yeah. no one's expecting it, and he gets the speech right. Mm-hmm. There was this like he they did that so well. There was this tiny little internal fist bump. It's like yeah, yes, for sure, <laughs> that did land. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anything else, guys? Man, Any well, anything else we want to talk about? This was a good movie. It's hour and a half on Netflix. Yeah, it is good. I I still think you should definitely watch this. Like, yeah, not many people get to see acting like this you're going to see a style of acting that you don't usually get to see. And there's a lot of really good talent and obviously all black cast. You want to support this and you want to learn something. And I promise you, you will learn something. If you, watch I mean, this. regardless of anything, this is worth a watch. Like yeah. we, yeah. we really had to find like dig deep to find stuff to pick at it for that. It's, it's a great film. Well, that's the play stuff. Forgive the play stuff. Please mm. do that. I don't know why we were so stuffy about yeah. it, but forgive the play stuff. And then it's a completely different experience. Yes. All right. Well, people let's, let's hope let's we'll see what happens when I push this button. Oh, we're back. It works. Good. <laughs> okay, All right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, people. And then we are going to be back to talk about Artemis Val. We will see you soon. And we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> All right. So that was that was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom available on Netflix. We are now going to move to our Razzie nominee, or at least our presumed Razzie nominee. Although if I had some money to bet on Razzies, I would probably bet on this movie. So this is um sorry, 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 sorry. No, I okay. <laughs> we haven't even introduced it. <laughs> no, I did not I did not hate this movie as much as um I could have. Okay, so this is Artemis Fowl, Disney Plus. It has a 4.2 on IMDb. It has a 31 out of 100 on Metacritic. And it has a uh, 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is an 8. That is our second single digit (laughs) entry into this uh, series. So Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy, hunts down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father. This takes place in Ireland, which they say is the most magical place on earth. Uh, It's based on a series of books that apparently Dave read, so he will be our literary expert on this film. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh. It stars, not as um, Artemis Fowl, but it stars Judi Dench because she's in the movie because she must really like working with Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I don't know what was on the page that she read where she was like, let's do this. She probably just said, (laughs) fuck it, let's do it over there in the uk this sounds great josh gad josh gad i should have buzzed that when i was too busy josh gad acts as our narrator throughout the film um who is uh the hagrid of dwarfs i guess you could say um and let's see what else uh artemis fowl senior is colin farrell who is irish in case you forgot so that makes sense even though he has about three days three minutes of screen time 
And then newcomer, Ferdia Shaw, Ferdia Shaw, plays Artemis Fowl. This is his first and only feature film to date. That is Artemis Fowl. Um, I don't know if I have much more of a setup than that. What I would say for this would be Artemis Fowl acts as like a, a Cody Banks character where he's dressed like a man in black and calls himself a criminal mastermind, even though nothing that we saw leads us to believe he's a criminal mastermind, but that's what they would like us to believe. And um, he lives in a really huge house with his dad called Fowl Manor that apparently got robbed, some stolen relics taken. It's unfortunate. And uh, it turns out that um, his dad is somewhat of a keeper to the fairy world or the magical realm here on Earth. So there are fairies, there's magic, I think. I think there's magic. I, I don't know. We saw a little bit of it, but that's the, it's <laughs> that's the film. Yeah. Who wants to well, let's have John go first, because I know Dave is just, just, just ready to go. So, Actually, it, I kind of want to hear, before we <laughs> no, shit no, 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 all over fun. this movie, I kind of want to hear Dave. Explain to me. Go ahead. No, no. <laughs> this was, I was so confused. I'm more confused. So I kind of want to get a little context from you having read the book. Was this a, was this a decent adaptation? Not in terms of if it was Not good or bad. Not even remotely. In terms of mm. accuracy. No. So accuracy wise, like I was confused about like the, let's just take a general spin, a general take, a, a giant note, the fairy world. Their magic is technology, apparently. Is that <laughs> not how it is in the book? They're not costumes because their uniforms right, were not very good. Basically, let's. I'll just. I'll just briefly get this out of my system because my, a lot of my criticism stems from the fact that I did read the books. Uh, no, the fairies are magic. Um, that was changed. the The whole book is from the perspective of Holly Short. Um, so who's you don't Holly even Short? really who's, meet. Who's, uh, who's, she's she's, the, fairy. she's okay, the fairy. The whole the book is from oh, her okay, perspective. Cool. Um. The story is basically supposed to go that Artemis tracks down a fairy in an alley and steals the book that lists all their secrets. That's how he finds out about the fairy world. Um, Holly gets sent to recover, like recover the troll. It goes horribly wrong. She uses up all her magic trying to defend people, so she has to go to the tree that they show to uh, replenish her magic. Not there's cool. nothing about her father. Um, I mean, daddy issues wasn't present, uh, and this, this was added he, later. <laughs> He know he knows uh, Artemis at this point has read the book and knows that they go to the tree to replenish their power, and that's how he captures her. But he captures her before she can re replenish her power, and a big part of the book is the fact that she doesn't have any uh, magic at this point, so she can't wow. she can't actually replenish okay. anything. So there's that this whole thing, like, and Artemis uh, in the book is already a master criminal. He's already got this whole setup where he's sure. like a rogue kid, basically. And uh, that was one of the things that Disney actually hired Brenner to change. And it really did a disservice to the film. Um, they kept, they yeah. kept saying that Artemis Fowl uh... Jr. They were like, <laughs> Josh Gad kept being like, first of all, Josh Gad started this whole story out of fucking nowhere. Out of nowhere. He just starts, he's like, do you want to know about magic? And just starts this whole story. It came out of nowhere. No, but yeah. wait. What the fuck the is up with the voices? Wait, what oh, wait, the fuck I have a were question. they doing? I have a him and Judy Dench. Yeah, Judy Why Dench they had doing vocal that? tension. She's never had that in her life. That she had vocal tension in this. Mm. Um, that that character in the book is an eight hundred year old male. It doesn't elf. matter. You still you still have a voice that's so raspy. I think, but I, think not they, I think they swapped. Like, I think I think they swapped the gender, but kept the voice. It was it was it was tight. It was grabbing. It's so weird. Um, wait, hold on. They kept saying that yeah. Artemis Fowl yeah. Jr., who's the this the the kid in this. They keep saying mm -hmm. like the he kid. he's a watch out for the kid because he's the best. So Dave, my question for you is this. What is he the best at? Because all I know is that he has a lot of plans. One of his plans at one point is to take cover. So, like, I'm just curious, what is he the best at? 
Yeah, that, that is definitely not communicated in the film. Um, the father doesn't even appear in the first book. The father's oh, already oh, they missing. They did a Golden Compass the thing the on HBO where they started introducing the second they book They really, yes. Yeah, they, they, the father, the whole rescue of the father is the second book. So they, they tried to do a little bit of a mishmash. Um, it's The yeah. best part of this movie the house is, great. is that house. I'm not kidding. Yeah. The production that house was incredible. And I mean, the, the production design the, was so cool. The production design uh, of that it, and the fairy kingdom for me was good. Like I would have accepted the technology uh, if there was still the magic. Police force is not very menacing on Fairy Island. You can't have both, right? Though. So, all right. So, I'm sorry to get a. We have to go back to Tolkien. We have to go back to him because he created this genre and he's written multiple essays on this. There are certain rules about how you create secondary worlds. This movie breaks every rule it tries to establish. And so you're never sure what, how to track what is magic, what's real, uh, whether it's plot-driven, whether it's uh, uh, the, the ways that certain magical beings interact with other magical beings. They, they broke every rule multiple times. Mm. And so you, you don't really learn how to, how to perceive the world, which is integral in learning how to navigate fantasy. That is, that is rule number one. The goblins look like they just, just went, it, hey, can we borrow the oh, Harry yeah, Potter yeah. masks? They but they do have a yeah. they do have yeah. a bat cave though, so I, that's uh, pretty cool. Out of nowhere, they just have the hallway is actually a bat cave. That was pretty interesting. <laughs> Dude, Josh Gad, this was <laughs> awful. All I mean, just just atrocious. I mean, he's a talented guy. What the fuck was he doing with There's that? There's a reason voice? that I can't get past. The reason I, that I, I think favorite, do that. I don't know. Okay. He was. He was working with what he was well, given. Okay, he there's a reason that much. our boy, there's a reason that our no, boy, Daniel Lewis, always, we, 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 it comes up a lot, but he always starts with the voice because that's the gateway to the soul. When you start with a tense voice, this is not a matter of the, just like the sound, like he's basically, he t- honestly, he talks like b- the Batman from the college humor sketches where he's like, yeah. You saw me in the Batcave. We totally did it. And he's like really, like he's grabbing at his throat. That is restriction. That's tension. And it's forced. He did it himself. So if he didn't do that, he would have so much more depth, so much more to go. But it was this put on-ness that held back the whole performance. John, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mm. and and I'm so sad to say this, but it interrupted Judy Dench's performance as well. I've never felt that way about it. I've never seen her try to manipulate herself for the sake of characterization. She's too good for that. And it's almost like Kenneth Banner directed them to do something like that. They even had a line that commented on it. We're like two hippopotamuses with a sore throat. I was like, what the fuck? Who was that line for? Did you just comment on the fact that Dave, you guys are Dave, talk to me about the CGI of the centaur, because it definitely looked like they cut to a human really close using his arms a lot, and then they cut away, and it didn't look real anymore. What happened? He made me laugh quite Talk a bit. Talk to me about the CGI. Right. hit the go button. Up close, it's just a human <laughs> pumping his arms. I, 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 I really. It's almost like they, they got the same guys who did Percy Jackson. It does. It feels like and Spy it, it Kids. It has a Spy Kids feel. Yeah. It feels like it's Spy all the Kids same meets Percy Jackson. Movie. Also, they introduced yeah. Artemis Fowl Jr. like he was Tom Riddle. Oh, like he was Tom Riddle at first. I was like, oh, this kid's spooky. Mm. But he could surf really well. He's a really good surfer. I can't fucking stand. I'll tell you what, though, um, a, hi- a highlight of the film for me was the the actress they cast yeah, as Holly great. Short, the fairy. She yes, was great. She was. And I really, I feel really bad for her because if they'd done this right, this could have been a franchise where she is yeah. a fucking major character. You're right. Yeah, she didn't get on my nerves. I don't think they did her any services, but in terms of just casting yeah. type, 
but she was believable. She never bothered me. That's how bad this movie is. That the best thing I could say about this movie is that the best cast person in it yeah. never bothered me. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I was thinking the whole time I was watching this, I guess I should put it out there that I don't like those kinds of movies where kids already know everything. I think mm. the best kids stories are when kids it's, it's usually grounded in a little bit more realism and it's kids going against the world of adults to figure out what they think they might already know or what they have to figure out because the obstacles are so insane that the world of adults doesn't take it seriously. Never ending story, stranger things, uh, um, stand by me. There's so many wonderful. I heard, examples I heard extremely loud and incredibly close because you, you basically you're finding like one tra- one piece of the puzzle at a time, something like that. Yeah, and I think it works like that. And this one, just from the very beginning, it establishes through a fucking bullshit excuse of an exposition. <laughs> angry at a film that we knew was going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> we knew the film wasn't going to be good, and we're like, God damn it, this film really ruined my night. <laughs> Okay, also, the Artemis saying, never goes outside is one of the th- really things established in the book, and the first thing yeah. they do is show him Why surfing. Why is he surfing? So you can't really fuck it, up a character more than it that. Was like, mm. It was like the Apocalypse Now surfing scene surf? at the beginning of this. I was like, oh, Tom Riddle can surf. It's Dave, like, how do we make him look cool? Dave, oh, do you think that cool? Kenneth Branagh thought that this was going to be his Hugo? <laughs> I don't know what fucking <laughs> Kenneth Branagh was thinking. He should stick with Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. You know what? He's a good. He's made some good movies too. I just don't. I, I what went, Dave? What do you think? You're the only one who's read this book. What do you think went wrong? Do you think this was Disney getting I, in his way? Do you think they were all scared of it being a more I, literal I, adaptation? To be honest, so they said, "Fuck it, let's do Kenneth, a whole new Kenneth thing. Brenner has done such a range of good work um, in yeah. all genres that I would have to say he followed the instructions he was given to the letter. And Man, that sucks, I mean, because let's face it, he's rewriting a script, turning it in, and the Disney producers are greenlighting that and going, yes, this is what we True. want to do, what we want to go. So I feel like they got hold of the story, they Disneyfied it, and yeah. made, it, made also- it really light and fluffy. And it it's not light and fluffy. Like, he starts off knowing nothing. We were spoon-fed the okay. entire story Thank you. in, That's what in I felt 10 like. minutes I felt of like- fucking exposition voiceover. Exactly. Bullshit, dude. Fucking horseshit. The whole shit. first I, I had 10 million... minutes is voiceover. And of course, these books came out in literally like the exact same years as Harry Potter. So I was also thinking while I was watching, because I've never read these books, but I was also thinking, hmm. why did the Harry Potter book succeed and why did the adaptation succeed? <laughs> Again, I think it follows some of those rules I was talking about earlier. But also, I just had a hunch, and I'm glad you said that, Dave. I had a hunch that these books took themselves more seriously. The tone of this movie was not sincere. No. It was not grounded in anything. It was just, don't, you don't, when that guy, there's a guy in the middle of this who, who dies and then gets brought back to life. I didn't give wait, a fuck. Wait, I didn't care about bro- anybody in this movie. And this oh, is like I remember an hour now. Okay, into the movie. I forgot somebody died. I, I watched this last exactly. night. Exactly. You forgot about it because it didn't night. fucking matter. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on. So let, let's talk really technically, just to give a perfect example. This person dies in the middle of this story and it stops the movie. It, it stops it. Emotionally, they want you to be as cut up as Artemis, who's very affected by it. Why is Gandalf's death so, so effective in Lord of the Rings? Because they can't stop. They have to keep going. They literally have to move immediately because the arrows, and then Aragorn doesn't let them cry about it. That's why it's so, because you don't have a moment to lament. This movie just shoved it down your face. They were face worried and tried that you wouldn't care about, about it. I think they were worried they you wouldn't care. They manipulated you. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the, the death in the book was, it was actually dead and wow. it was brittle. See? Kill the guy. Right, kids kids it was not family friendly at all. It. Yeah. Uh, kids um, can take it. Thank you. Respect the fucking children. They can take it, dude. Or, they you can know, take it all make it, it a young adult film. Don't so make it a kid's can... movie. Was Harry Potter a kid's movie, The first though? two were. No, th- these are, right? Th- there's the a reason two, they yeah. work, right? <laughs> Ju- yeah, you when Judy finally them. lands yeah. on Earth, spoilers, she shows up, and she says, top That's of the morning to you, in this, like, growly <laughs> voice. I was like, ridiculous. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Top of the morning. I, uh, the <laughs> one thing funny. I would really hate to have to sit and expect <laughs> is a phone call from Judy Dench the morning after the reviews of this came out. And oh, I'm hoping she did it still in character. Somewhere, being like, do I not have to <laughs> film the second one? She <laughs> has made like, so many. <laughs> yeah, she's made so many movies. Yeah. She saw the premiere and she was like, swing and a miss, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> saw the premiere. This <laughs> came out during COVID. She went, you, I don't have to go to the premiere. You know what? Yeah, the funny thing is, if they said they were making a second one, I'd still watch it based on the premise that they might go a little easier. One on out the- of three hosts of the Love of Cinema podcast will watch the sequel to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so dwarfs can go for just Here go. just in case they get it right. Dirt like you could go for like that. That's here's something. Yes. Yeah. He. Yeah. That's and he how shit it out work. immediately, right? Yes. Did I? Did I interpret that correctly? Um, he shits it immediately. Yeah, pretty that's much. That's what that goblin yeah. said. Just don't be behind of, you or something. Um, they kind of get a, they kind of get a buildup of gas and like gratuitously fart. Wow, it's explosive. Yeah, that whole thing was just. Yeah, it was weird, and I didn't understand it. Yeah, I mean, they, here's something technical. They threw fart gags into Doolittle. Why not put it in this? Oh God, here's something technical that I thought could have made this movie a little bit better. They did a whole lot of single frame coverage what i mean by that is that one character is in frame at a time in scenes with multiple characters i never felt like anyone was in the same movie and emotionally i felt bad for these actors because they were never able to relate to each other who fucking knows who was behind that camera when they were filming their scenes there and the perfect example is towards the beginning um colin farrell is saying goodbye to artemis which apparently shouldn't have happened fucking anyway according yeah. to what Dave ha- said well it happened before the book started so yeah okay so <laughs> we are supposed to have this big emotional moment where like the kid's upset that he's leaving and they keep covering it. I don't know what the fuck is going on with Kenneth Branagh. He kept doing it in this single frame coverage. And then there is one moment where they're finally in a two frame. And it was by far the most, the most relatable and emotional moment of the entire scene. And then he kept falling into that trap for the rest of the movie. Nobody was ever in scenes together. Just, he, he never even gave these people a chance, which made me think that, this is not his first time shooting with green screen. He's done Cinderella. He's done Thor. He has a lot of blue screen and green screen experience. Mm. I felt like this was the first time he had ever worked with that technology, and he was scared to let people actually interact in a 3D space. I, I don't know. Did you guys think about that at all? I kept thinking, like, why is nobody emotionally connected? No, I was just having... I was just... Nope. I was just having a blast, like, all? making fun of this. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I was... Uh, I should have... I just sat I back for the second time. I mean, together, this movie. I give it... Give, <laughs> Given it, yeah, given it, yeah. Uh, given I, um, Disney has a group watch what? thing now. We could have actually all connected and watched fun. it together. Um, all right. Given that, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. The Disney group watch thing. Um, um, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I don't though, know one, what happened the one, in this movie. The one gripe, I don't know the, the one gripe I do have as well. Well, the one gripe. <laughs> yeah, because um, uh. it took me two times to watch this the first time. And I watched it straight through the second time. 
But the one thing I can't get past is jo- they, they've captured Josh Gad. They're interrogating Josh Gad. He narrates the entire fucking story. Why do they put him in the one elevated cell in the middle of the ocean with a skylight? <laughs> and it, they and a location that obviously doesn't have fucking radar. Because like, this movie is <laughs> bullshit, dude. Yeah, That's no. why. Oh, my God. Come on, they made gluten jokes. Dude, they made gluten jokes. If I jokes. was a kid... If I yeah. oh was that for the adults like when they come on there was oh come on dude if I was a kid I would have been like fuck this movie they are not respecting me oh, you're like a cool kid me, dude. all right people we gotta good. we gotta wind yeah. let's wind this down your I think drink light's still on John get the point of what this movie's about what John your drink light's yeah. still on you gotta drink sorry I, I have to this one's we gotta open up stuff. a new one at the end of the podcast yeah drink the whole thing. Yeah. You're like that doctor in Houston that had to Jesus, get rid of that yeah. vial. I'm sorry I hated this movie so much. Vaccine. Okay, people, that is it. That is <laughs> commentary. <laughs> Topical. Guys, that is Artemis Fowl and Disney+. Plus. Okay, somebody look up next week while I vamp here until the end. So, please. I've got it. We actually talked, we talked about per- perhaps changing this because we have one of the, the new mutants is on this list. But this is the seventh week we're coming into. Mm. We are going to be doing George Clooney's Midnight Sky. It. It's available on Netflix. Yep. Jeff's already seen it. And the Razzie possible nomination is New Mutants. And I think that's still available for rent. So stay I mean, tuned. It, we might change that. Yeah, that's, uh, new, sure. new Mutants kind of, they're, they're milking that Tay. Let's, uh, let's charge people 20 bucks at home to watch it. It's been like that since I think October last year or November last year. And they've never ever taken it down or changed it. So I don't know. I I gave them twenty bucks. Oh yeah, Dave already did. New Mutants is the one. No, what's the following? Dave already watched it. All right. Yeah, I was about to say if we decide to bump it, we're gonna bump it for Disney's Mulan, the live action one that came out this summer. That'll be so everybody at home watch both just in case. All right, and then (laughs) yeah. Watch two twenty dollars for one just in case we did. All right, so then. No, and we have new movies coming out. I'm really yeah. excited, but okay, Midnight Sky with Spoiler George Clooney. Just getting it's getting a lot of buzz, mostly in the technical departments. <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, shout out to uh, Judas and the Black Messiah dropped Friday night, yeah. two nights ago, last night on uh, HBO Max. Cannot wait to see that movie. And One Night Miami, no, um, no, no, something no, else no, came out last night. Oh, too, One Night right? Miami might be out. Yeah, Nomadland comes out next Friday, hmm. the 19th. Yeah, fuck yes, so excited. And I'll be watching Minari next weekend. All right, people. Well, lot, lots to talk about, but let's wait till next week. We'll see you soon. Thank you, film fans. Take it easy. Bye.